Hey everybody, welcome to Spotlight, uh, Maroon PR's podcast, our latest edition. I'm John Maroon. Joining me today with our esteemed producer, Johnny Goldsmith, is our vice president of new media, Jen Bloomer. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about social media. Uh, it is seemed to be much more in the uh, conversation these days, more than ever. And, um, you know, Jen, I think you can kind of harken back when we first started the company social media wasn't that prominent and that was just 11 years ago you know i mean it, we were a traditional pr firm with media relations with being our only focus right and then slowly but surely we grew into what is now uh, uh half the staff working in your department focusing largely on social media right i think the growth of maroon pr is just it's exactly how technology in the digital age has grown so companies you know, we would help them get their websites up and write copy for website, and that was kind of the only thing that companies really owned. We relied so much on the media to tell the story back then. And then kind of as my career has grown, you know, it was started with websites, and then it started with blogging, and then it moves into how do companies deal with social media and, and really harness the power to tell the story that way. Well, it's a good point, too, because as, as it has grown – it's not just a great communications tool, but it's also something you could have to deal with, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's um, employees that sometimes go rogue, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Um, in the sports world, you know, I, I like to uh, talk about when I was a PR director with the Indians and the Orioles, um, it wasn't a thing, you know? And so you, you were, it, it allowed you to plan and proactively put things out there, this, that, and the other thing. And, uh, you know, now you're a PR director for a sports team, and it's a it's more challenging than ever because every athlete is on Twitter, and oftentimes they tweet great stuff, and several times they tweet not so great <laughs> stuff, and you're put squarely in reaction mode. Right, and where I think when you used to think about controlling the message, it was how how you get the media, how you tell your story the right way to the media, and get the media to tell that that same story that you want to be told. Well, now you have the media that as PR people. You're trying to control that message, but then you have all the social media platforms as well that your employees are on in terms of in sports world, athletes are on. Um, and I think when you think about it in the most extreme sense right now, we're, we're seeing the president of the United States can sit down and tweet out and reach millions and millions of people. Um, and so how do you plan for that as a company? Um, if you take the presidency and, and his communication staff, how do you really plan for that? Well, and, and more broadly, um, you know, depending on how you feel about the president being on Twitter, I think that's a new reality mm -hmm. moving forward. I don't think Donald Trump's going to be the last president on Twitter. I think he's going to be the first one. Uh, it's very active on it regularly. Um, you know, when, when President Obama was on Twitter, it's, it seemed like it was much more planned, mm -hmm. uh, much more in a uh, way to back up his policies and and that sort of thing, rather than break news. And right. I think uh, with President Trump, he's using it more as a way to um, uh, counteract what he perceives as the media being against him. So he's going to get out the words that he wants out mm -hmm. there and reach the people he wants to in the way he wants to. And it's changed everything, and not just changed the way the White House has to react to things, it's also changed the way the media has to cover the world. And, um, yeah. You know, and I think I think it's a, a cause for some frustration from the press, for sure. Uh, you could see that in the way in which they react to his tweets. Um, but it's also a, a way in which they, they just need to, it's the new reality, I think, for them. Um, 
that that is hard for everybody to adjust to. It's such a different time in our world, um, like it or not. And I think it's the way the way things are going to be moving forward. Yeah, and I think too, just when you think about it, so. I think that is a really good reason why the social media, when you look at just a general business or organization, why social media should li- live within the PR realm. Um, I know, like when I, you know, when social media first started. So I, you know, as you know, I left Marin PR. I went to the national. Oh, I know. <laughs> I went I to the National Aquarium, and that's when social media first started to come about. And so it lived within the the PR world um, because we felt we needed to help control those messages. And so we were setting up the blog, setting up the Facebook page, and there was a very legitimate plan on like when we were going to post. Um, even went down to the crisis communication, what was going to go out when you know something terrible happened Um, because we were dealing with live animals and such. So there was a lot of different, you know, policies that were being created and put into place. Yeah, Um, and well, go build off of what you were saying, Jen. I mean, it's interesting because it should always live under the communications mm -hmm. or the PR arm. It doesn't always. Oftentimes it's under, say, marketing. Yep, and so when I went then on to Black & Decker, they created the first social media manager position within that large company, and there was many, across many brands, and that was actually within the digital marketing space of my role. But, you know, I fought really hard to eventually, um, you know, have that communication with the PR people. And so my my role ended up becoming split. So I was dealing, you know, definitely in the PR world and also the digital marketing team. And, and that was a really big step. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, the reality is that all the social media platforms are a very important communication tool now. Uh, almost every organization lives on them and they need to be genuine. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, I've never, I've never seen uh, people sniff out uh, bullshit on a social media platform. <laughs> uh, now they know it, and so you got to be real. You got to be genuine. You can't try to plant things. It's if you're saying it's so and so's voice, it better be so and so's voice. And and so uh, um, it, it it again goes back to the point that it has to be under communications arm. It's part of a PR. It's all PR. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about that right. all the time. Well, PR is media. No, it's all PR. Right. And, and it really, social really does touch every aspect of your business. Um, it just needs to be funneled through, you know, we believe the, the PR people. So, you know, in larger businesses, customer service is very integral because, you know, when it comes to like products and such, you know, your customer service team has to be there to help monitor and answer those questions. Um, the marketing team, for sure. I mean, we help clients all the time. We, we funnel through marketing messages, but we really push for the more genuine, the behind the scenes, what's the company about, all of those great stories that um, that you can tell now with social. Um, so there are, you know, it's it's in larger companies, it's very much how do we inc- include everyone and create a plan and funnel it through the PR team. Um, in smaller organizations, you know, a lot of our clients where we are the the social media managers and, and we can help kind of build that structure. Well, it's interesting, great. not to go to, down a rabbit hole, but there's also <laughs> the other sort of social media um, for you know the review sites mm-hmm. you know and the, as we work with restaurants and hotels and uh that's very important to them you know and really staying on top of that um staying on top of those reviews making sure the re- uh, the reviews that are being on there are honest and mm-hmm. they're real and that people can speak their mind and making sure that we're reacting appropriately right right I think in this world, you know, everyone wants to give their opinion. We see that, um, and that is kind of the downfall of social <laughs> media in some regards, um, that everyone can say whatever they want at any time. Um, but you can harness that, and that's what we try to tell with the re- restaurants. You know, the feedback nine times out of ten is genuine. 
Um, and you can really turn a customer around if you're paying attention to those reviews, invite them back in, a personal note. I think that's just what people want to see from organizations and businesses that they spend their money at. They want that interaction with the business. Well, you know, it's interesting going back to the business use of of social media. I think that uh, there's still a lot of um, naivete out there about how to run social media platforms, what that entails, how to make sure the content is engaging. Um, I think there's still a decent amount that say, hey, you know, my niece has a Twitter account, so, Mm -hmm. you know, she can run all of her social media (laughs) platforms. Um, But there's also some tools, right? There's tools that help uh, outside tools like Sprout Social and other things that kind of help businesses measure their successes and whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we can, we, the reports we run and our team spends a lot of time analyzing the content and seeing what's doing well. And it always changes. So there's always different, um, you know, words, trigger words, all this kind of stuff that goes into what, people see on social media and all the algorithms now because the platforms are so large that they have the, on the back end, Facebook, Twitter, they're trying to manage how you see content as a user. So there's all these different algorithms. It's always changing. And so it is really, really helpful from our perspective to be able to see, okay, well, this tweet generated this much reaction. Um, and why was that? And this tweet, you know, this Facebook post was shared 300 times as opposed to that other one that was shared once, you know, why? And we, we spend a lot of time trying to do that. And it's, um, it's very helpful to prove um, to businesses that what social media can do. Well, I think and, one yeah. really good example recently was with our longtime friends and clients at Ripken Baseball, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they have, <clears throat> like all businesses, they have obligations to celebrate their corporate partners on social media. Right. And they should. Mm-hmm. Um, but Clara Pino, our, our account executive with social media, she delved into a bit of a study to see what's appropriate and where the line's drawn, right? Yeah. And she came yeah. away with some results. Some really great um, great results and just findings that to back up that, you know, your sponsored content needs to be authentic and engaging to the fan base at yeah. the end of the day. And so now they can take that and build their sponsorship packages a little bit better and it only is going to help the sponsor as well in the, in the right. long run. It's, it's a little less help. blatant, right? Yeah, but, no, yeah but there are those tools allow us to to dive in and really find those examples. And then the tools also um, are a great way to schedule, monitor, and really um, you know plan for what's being pushed out there um, to look for typos, right. um, to look for something that might be scheduled inappropriately from the wrong account, um, that kind of thing. And we see that all the time. And I think, you know, unfortunately, media, um, some media is looking for, or yeah, looking pounds. for businesses um, to make mistakes. And, and so you see the hashtags trending. Um, it was the Red Cross. Um, unfortunately, one of their employees went to post on her uh, personal page mm-hmm. and posted on their, um, their pages, the Red Cross pages about um, getting drunk. And, and, you know, so then this hashtag started trending. Um, even though the tweet was deleted within, you know, minutes, yeah. um, someone picked up on it and pushed it out. That's um, it. Yeah. yeah. And so those tools are also really helpful. Um, you know, cause we'll, n- to be completely honest, we have interns helping us write content. Interns can be really creative, but they always schedule it. Um, they schedule it in the back end. We, we review stuff and, you know, and then it gets pushed out. And so the more eyes, the better. them not mm-hmm. thinking the big picture. Not <laughs> or just, you know, small typos. Everyone yeah. makes mistakes and stuff, right. but yeah. Um, so social media technology has come a long way in, in how you manage, which That's is great. great. Um, go back to the political front a little bit. Uh, there's been a trend, I think, obviously, with the current administration. There's been a trend by a lot of different brands on social mm-hmm. media to come out and speak their mind. Yeah. Um, 
one example was, and forgive me, I can't remember the, the specific brand. It was, a, it was a hand cream. I don't know if it was Pond's or whatnot. But they used the hashtag um, alternative facts referencing um, uh, White House staffer Kellyanne Conway's remarks mm-hmm. about using right. alternative facts. And it ended up trending on Twitter. And I remember somebody posted it up on LinkedIn and said, isn't this amazing? What a great use of Twitter. And I, mm. I couldn't disagree more. I mean, right. it, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I, I just think it's unusual that with a, such a polarized nation, right? Mm-hmm. We're half one way, half the other. It's yeah. just poll after poll has shown that. That by getting involved in this and delving on that, yeah, maybe we trend on Twitter for yeah. a day, but you alienate tens of millions of people, and many of which take that seriously to the point of not buying your yeah. stuff. Uh, yep. Then the other thing, you know, uh, comments by uh, the, the other way is comments by executives, and we saw it recently with Kevin Plank, right. um, showing support for a sitting president in some way, and all of a sudden there's a boycott and all that yeah. kind of stuff. I mean. What are your thoughts on just kind of that whole how how the political culture has changed the social media landscape? Yeah, no, and I completely agree with you from a perspective of just corporations trying to latch on. And like you said, it trended. But what did that actually do for that hand cream company in the end? Well, if anything, I think it may have lost uh, its customers. Right, exactly. It's safer to just stay Um, the heck away from that. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, I do think the only... You know, where it might make sense to participate is if you, you know, around um, policies. And so if you're a nonprofit that's going to get affected by a certain policy, um, I think it's okay to to rally your fan base and your supporters to act on that behalf. Um, but when it comes to corporations um, and just and trying to, snarky, you know, yeah, frankly, right. Frankly, okay. getting snarky and make, yeah. having a little fun with it and whatnot. That's a that's a risky proposition. Right. And you're seeing a little bit of it. And it makes me, it, it surprises me yeah. that, that someone at the upper echelons of corporate would sign off on that. Yeah, agree. Knowing that it could be so alienating. Forget about your personal politics. You got to forget that for, for a minute. Um, Absolutely. And I think just in general, like the yeah. world just needs to kind of stand back. And yes, everyone has a voice and an opinion. But does that voice and opinion, is it always serve you? well right. you know when it comes to your business um right although i do i do think your point's really valid about the nonprofits. <laughs> if there's some policy decisions mm-hmm. coming down sure we work with a lot of nonprofits, and th- we, that we'd encourage them to use it to push um a policy that would help impact them sure and i think even taking it then down to the um a little bit more granular and, and comments to your page and stuff so um, Governor Hogan in Maryland was getting some pushback li- lately about um, deleting comments from the public Facebook page. Um, and, you know, a, a corporation has the right or a business, you know, it's, it's your Facebook presence, it's, you know, it's your company's presence um, to build a, a policy for your page. And so, you know, they felt that they could delete certain posts and, and whatnot um, from supporters or, or not supporters if it didn't serve the, the purpose of the page and the topic of the page. And so that's kind of how they're approaching it. We saw, you know, even just recently with the Kevin Blank stuff here in Baltimore, you know, he's obviously connected to the Sagamore is his um, company uh, off outside of Under Armour, um, Sagamore Racing. Um, we saw a couple comments come through on the page and we didn't, we didn't, we advised them not to acknowledge them because it had nothing to do with the topic of Sagamore Racing. So there are ways companies can kind of look at it, look at it and, and build a strategy and a plan around just responses to, um, to topics. Right. When you look at because you really can't control 
if people are going to come to you and, and tag you and, and talk to you, um, you have to have a plan for that because you can't just you can block certain people um, if they get to be vulgar extreme, and stuff. Yeah, right, for sure. Yeah. Um, In extreme so cases, that's just a whole other layer of kind of how, as a company, you're you're dealing with it. Yeah. Um, one more topic on that, if you remember during the election, um, our client Big League Two. You know, for whatever reason, um, Donald Trump used the term big league a lot um, and he used it in a lot of debates. And so, you know, the the public, you know, not, you know, probably 20 to 30 people would had reached out to big league to just to see to almost push to see if the company would would uh, comment publicly of are you endorsing this? Is this going to be an endorsement? You know, and, and it's all snarky in nature. But, you know, we advise them to just ignore it because there's nothing had nothing to do with the product had nothing to do with their business. Um, it was just people trying to push and, and get a reaction. Yeah, and I think there's yeah. some, there some uh, you know, within the four walls of Big League Chew that thought, hey, maybe this is something we can capitalize, right? And right. we just, uh, it goes the other way, you know, and we advise them not to because right. there's a lot of folks that wouldn't think that's funny that very much don't, uh, aren't at the time candidate Trump or against candidate Trump. Right, yeah. And it so, doesn't serve yeah, you well. It doesn't it serve you government. well. Again, it's, ha- it's that half the country is not going to, find that cute or amusing or uh it's not going to help you with your business ultimately yeah. so thinking that through avoiding what what some would perceive as every opportunity for capitalization is hard mm-hmm. in this world of a lot of noise and signals but it's smart i think too and even like looking at it from a perspective of um taking advantage of situations so a lot of companies whether it's like a um you know, some kind of uh, emergency or, you know, something terrible happening in the world um, type of situation. And a lot of, uh, com- you know, that's a big discussion about, you know, should, like, on 9-11, should everyone, every single company be comp- be commenting about how we remember and, and, not, and you know, around 9-11? Well, does, does it really have to do with every every single company? And, you know, that might be an example where it's just such a big American thing that, you know, that happened in our lives that it's okay. But just when you think about, that kind of, of taking advantage of situations when your company doesn't really it has nothing to do with your company. So yeah. that's always a topic that we, we go back and forth on too. Yeah, that's a good point. As we kind of wrap up this topic, I think it's interesting, John, you tell the story of, um, of crisis communications back in the nineties, yeah. um, with the Cleveland Indians and crisis communication now. Um, and we've seen examples of where social media can really help control the message for an organization or it could really hurt the organization. Um, but I think it's just an interesting topic to talk about um, when it comes to crisis and, and it's just another layer of what you have to deal with now in, in your plan. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, it's game changing. I mean, I, I always tell these, uh, these college classes, this story because for me it wasn't that long ago, but I guess it was, it was, uh, in the early nineties, working for the Cleveland Indians, and there was a tragic boating accident during spring training that claimed the lives of two of our pitchers, uh, risked the life of a third. And, you know, the long story short, and it is a long story, is that um, there was no social media. In Mm -hmm. fact, there were very few cell phones. Uh, You know, I had a beeper. Uh, It was the off day in spring training, and then we went to the team hotel because we heard something was going on. Something happened. We weren't quite sure. All the players were outside. I went to a pay phone and called the general manager. And we went to his house. He told me what had happened. And then we planned press conferences. And slowly but surely, we started making phone calls because the media was starting to hear that this accident happened. The mm-hmm. next day, we did press conferences. I mean, just imagine today. Right. You know, this happened at a place called Little Lake Nelly in uh, near Orlando. And, um, 
you know, there'd be tweets from the dock. There'd be uh, discussions yeah. about. I mean, we did see it a little you know. bit with. Um, yeah, uh, the, Fernandez. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, Jose Fernandez. Fernandez. That's right. It yeah. was a very similar, very similar sort of situation. situation in the modern age. Mm-hmm. And it was much more reactive. The Marlins didn't have time to right. plan. They had to react because there were tweets happening right away. And there were reports going down. There was talk radio saying, was there drinking on board? You know, and, and it was a much more of a reactive stance as yeah. opposed to what we had, we were able to do give the family some comfort in time, plan things appropriately, let the players mm-hmm. digest it together, all these things. But the, the world is so different now. And I'm glad you, you mentioned Jose Fernandez. Yeah. I mean, that was uh, equally tragic. And um, the, the, But the means in which that got out to the world was so much different. Um, I just I thought about P.J. Loyello and the PR folks down at Miami and thinking, wow, they are – Drinking from a uh, fire hose right now, you know, and there's no time to plan right. appropriately to handle it. Great, but boy, that's yeah. uh, it, it's such a different time. And one um, one example here locally in Maryland um, that I actually applaud the use of social media from the organization um, was during the Columbia Mall shooting. Yes, Sherry Llewellyn. So, um, so she was the yeah the head of PR for the um, Howard County Police yes. Department, and so in that time because. There were all these reports coming out. Um, it was getting away from her, um, and so she was kind of losing control of the Not message. And what, yeah, yeah. What that was happening by members of the media, and so, um, and because it was such a moving, you know, it was a quick moving um, event that was unfolding. Um, she actually used the their Twitter handles. If memory at, serves too. They even had a, a voice message right at the yes. police department saying, mm-hmm. "Hey." Follow us on yep. Twitter. We're giving live updates. Yeah. Because all of this misinformation was happening, they Multiple used shooters, it. Yep. Terror, yeah, right. She used it to say anything that is official um, from our camp will be posted on our Facebook and Twitter pages. And then, in, and then, you know, and and she said for follow up, our next press conference will be at this time. Yep. So, in between those press briefings, she was able to to put out key information that helped kind of save that um, all the misinformation. Yeah, she did an amazing job with that. I agree. And we've seen it in case studies. I mean, she's talked, you know, within the communication world. She might have to be on Spotlight one day. Yeah, to talk about it. Um, But, you know, that's a really, that was a really great use of um, social when it comes to that communications and being able to be reactive and and quick. And it's a, well, it's a a great point that you made because I think, you know, we're talking about how it's like, you know, ah, Chinese fire drill, you know, and everybody's freaking out. Um, but there's also a real strategy behind it in a way in which to use it to really control the news and the flow of information, at least, mm-hmm. um, you know, to counteract some of the uh, rumors that might be starting and the speculation that might right. be out because there. Because social media it, is so quick, people yeah. can spread rumors and media can spread misinformation and it can spread very quickly. So yeah. it's the, the two sides of it, um, sure. using it as a business, too. For sure. No, excellent points to make, Jen. Um, when we come back, we're going to be joined by an editor for the Baltimore Business Journal, Ryan Sharrow, a good friend of ours. And we're going to talk about the uh, proliferation of social media in the, in the world of the press and reporting. And actually, one journalist who was uh, fired from the New York Post recently for a political tweet. Um, so when we come back, uh, Ryan Sharrow, Baltimore Business Journal, will be joining us. Joining us now is managing editor of the Baltimore Business Journal, Ryan Sharrow, to talk about social media and the media. Ryan, thanks for taking a few minutes out of your day. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Hey, so we want to kind of start, um, we talked earlier in the podcast about uh, 
how much uh, social media has um, uh, changed the way things are done in our industry. But, you know, let's talk a little bit about how it's changed the way things are done in your industry. I mean, you've seen it come on like a storm. How has it changed the way you report things, the way you break news, um, and uh, um, just basically the way that the journalists do business these days? Yeah, I would say social media, you know, changed the the media landscape dramatically. Um, things now happen in real time, and and everybody can watch them play out. Uh, you know, from everybody, all ages, all all diversities, and just uh, whether you're a fan of the media or not. I mean, everything is right there in front of you on social media, um, and I think a lot of people now feel like they are almost reporters um you know we used to hold stories sometimes for for several days and now it's you can see something related to that topic uh, somebody else may see a new restaurant that's opening or closing and they post a picture of it immediately on social media and that just really you know intensifies how quickly we must get things up and at the same time make sure they're accurate and balanced and all the things that that we're used to as journalists so our reporters um, you know, we're constantly monitoring those social media platforms as well for stories and seeing what people are saying. Um, so it's helped us out a lot. It's definitely kept us on our toes, and um, it's really just ramped up the speed that we're used to. Yep, we're with Ryan Sharrow, uh, managing editor of the Baltimore Business Journal. Ryan, how has that changed the way you have to, or, or the, I guess the measures in which you confirm accuracy of a story? I mean, it's, it's got to be much more of an angst and a, a rush to post as as news starts to break. I mean, have have you streamlined your ways in which to confirm stories? Is there a difference in the in uh, the level of comfort you have uh, than maybe that you had in the yeah. past? I think that's still the most important thing that that any journalist can do. Uh, you know, especially here, we are always saying, "Oh, you know, there was something posted on social media. Is it confirmed?" Um, I will say that a lot of restaurants um, are a little bit more uh, quicker to the scene in posting that they're closing or they're opening mm -hmm. on social media. And we found all those to be, you know, confirmed. That's just their voice that they used to get it out. We see that now a lot politically that people are saying stuff on social media. So um, first and foremost, you know, we need to make sure it's accurate. That's the biggest thing that we can do. It's our integrity. So any anytime you know we'll see something, obviously we will you know do our best to confirm it. Um, if we know it's it is what somebody said, then we'll run with that too. But if it's something that we have a question about or doubt, we'll certainly you know reach out to the parties involved and just make sure that it is true. So to your question about angst, yeah, certainly uh, going back to the to the first question, how it's changed things. It's sort of like rapid fire, and um, there's a lot being posted. Um, quickly and you know it's our job as as journalists and, and trusted media to to make sure it's true we you know that's the one thing we don't want to do is is put out inaccurate information so ryan when it comes to kind of what you're how you're using social as journalists are you spending a lot of time actively looking at businesses twitter's accounts and and really kind of paying oh. attention as a part of like your daily routine Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, like I was saying, it seems like every day, you know, we'll get a restaurant story or something based off Facebook. Um, mm -hmm. 
uh, sort of a you know a low hanging fruit, if you will, of some fun stories that readers like. If there's a blizzard or something along those lines, that restaurants will put up that they have a blizzard day special, <laughs> and we can corral you know a dozen of those into a story. Or people are just using it; they realize it's it's quick and effective for putting out you know bursts of information. And as journalists, we look for that and just try and tie it together. So um, we're, we're constantly getting story ideas and tips. Um, and like I was saying, it's it's just coming from regular people, too, who are not journalists, but mm-hmm. are walking the streets and they see that new sign in the door that says opening soon or restaurant closed for uh, health violations or anything like that. And certainly we can use that information to our advantage and, and get story ideas from there. That's great. So what's the strategy when you guys go say, okay, you're invited to a press conference um, and you're there and you have access to post as a reporter um, on social media versus collecting information, posting your story later, um, and then going even further um, when it comes to kind of the digital version versus the print version. So how do you guys kind of manage that process of what information goes out when? Certainly if it's a press conference with some really breaking news, something that we know a lot of other outlets in town are going to be covering, um, we'll try and make sure that reporter is posting it as quickly as possible, whatever Mm -hmm. that main news is. I think a good example of that was a few weeks ago when uh, the new Arena Football League team was uh, announcing their name here in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. And there was actually a bus outside of the arena that had the team name on it. Um, the press conference was supposed to start at, I think, 10. The bus was out there by like 9.30. <laughs> so they weren't going to announce the team name until 10, but there was the bus. Yeah. <laughs> so our, our reporter um, posted a picture, you know, all signs are pointing to this is the team name. It had a logo. It had a football player on it. So we didn't wait for them to tell us at 10. I mean, yeah. it was right there in front of us. So we were able to, you know, cobble together a story on that as well, but you know, Josh, our reporter who was there, posted a picture of the bus right there in black and white. Here's the team name. <laughs> and, you know, by the time 10 o'clock came around, it already had a lot of retweets. Hmm. A lot of people were commenting on the team name. So considering yeah. all the media outlets in town were there, we just weren't going to wait um, when we knew what it was. So anytime right. something big is announced, we'll definitely try and put it up on Twitter first. You know, whether or not it has a link, um, because if we don't, somebody else sure. will be posting it. So we really can't wait. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, Brian, just two, uh, two questions about um, going back to Jen. Jen alluded to kind of like policy. But what what is your policy, um, uh, I guess, for you personally, right? Because I'm sure you have your own personal. I know you have your own personal social media accounts um, that we're, we're connecting on. You're connecting on with hundreds and hundreds of people. How do you separate your posts there between that and, and your job as managing editor at the BBJ. And then the second part of that question is, do you have a social media policy for your journalists and their personal accounts? Um, well, we, we try and, you know, especially, I guess the question about myself, I, you know, will try not to put um, anything, frankly, I guess I'm a representation, and this is sort of what we tell our employees too about, you know, question about policy is that, you know, we are a representation of the paper and the company. And I think the good sort of theory or idea to keep in mind is that, you know, if you have a question, if you're questioning yourself about whether you may have crossed the line or whether you said something you shouldn't have, you know, maybe you shouldn't post it. Um, 
we try and you know keep it balanced as well. Obviously, you know sometimes you'll see if we're covering a certain story and and somebody weighs in a reader or something, uh, somebody from a public hearing and. I don't think we have a problem with like retweeting that other side of the story, something somebody else is saying, but I don't think, I think we try and avoid putting our personal opinion into things. Um, I think it's really tricky waters to navigate, especially right now. Um, so it's just, I think if, if you have a doubt about something, just try and avoid it. Um, I try and stick with posting on my personal accounts as things that I think are relevant to, to business in Baltimore and, you know, things that I have interest in, um, that, that I don't think will necessarily get a lot of, uh, you know, backfire. Uh, I like sports, so I'm, Mm -hmm. I have no problem posting personal stuff about, you know, uh, the Oriole game last night or the Ravens. Um, I don't think it's my place though to, to weigh in on, uh, making it too personal about my opinions, but um, certainly I'm happy to join the conversation about the performance or what I thought about the game. Yeah, well, look, that's a good lead-in. You know, the one subject we want to touch on uh, is the firing of New York Post reporter Bart Hubbock over over his tweets. And um, it's an interesting dilemma because now Hubbock is going to sue the Post over wrongful termination. And uh, you know, to, for, for everybody listening, the, the case is this, that the New York Post is owned by Rupert Murdoch, who owns Fox News, uh, clearly a conservative-leaning um, outlet. Bart Hubbock tweeted recently that the election of Donald Trump was equal to Pearl Harbor and 9-11. And the folks at the Post said enough is enough, and they fired him, and they cited that it was a repeated um behavior and it was if you look back a couple other um questionable tweets he had one was he um alluded to the fact that he believed that boston or the patriots was a racist area because he made a comment about jacoby brissett being the first black quarterback for the patriots ever and he said it was a shocker and then he also when the two journalists were tragically murdered in virginia he called it a victory for the nra so he was letting a lot of political um leanings come through in his tweets uh the question i guess goes back to you ryan i'd love your opinion on when does it become when do is it your a violation of your rights versus a responsibility as a semi-public figure to um to to uh look after your employers and and be more responsible with what you tweet yeah i mean i guess it goes back to maybe your question about what their policy is certainly you noted sort of which way that organization leans a bit. Um, so it sounds like maybe that they they talked with him in the past. Those are analogies, you know, things like that, that I probably would not weigh in on on my social media account. Just um, I, I don't think that, especially if I'm a sports reporter, I don't know if I need to, to weigh in on that. But again, um, you know, there is freedom of speech, and, and certainly he had an opinion, and he made it clear. I know he has a, a lot of, of followers, so I guess it's just a, qu- a question of what their policy is when it comes to that. And um, I think when it comes to politics right now, it, it's super tricky. I think we're seeing a lot of that with executives and just everybody across the board is that um, there's a lot of heat over, right now around that. And um, I guess, you know, it's, it's a good question about where journalists play their role. Um, I always like to think of ourselves as just – 
trying to keeping it as neutral as possible. Um, trying to, you know, hear both sides of the story. I think that's what we're here for. And, um, it seems like he was, you know, definitely leaning one way. And for one reason or another, um, the, you know, the post reacted back. So I'm curious to, have they said what, what their policies were? I guess you mentioned that they just said it wasn't a first offense. Yeah, no, they hadn't. They hadn't laid out that they had a strict employee policy on social or whatnot, at least not what I had seen. So um, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, the, the results of this legal battle will, will be precedent setting in many ways. And, and the last thing I want to ask you about, unless Jen had something she wanted to add was um, talking about precedent setting, you know, obviously the, the new president, is very active on Twitter, and he doesn't just use it to reinforce policy. He uses it to break news. He uses it to make personal statements. He uses it in a myriad of ways. And, you know, I'm kind of of the opinion this might be the new normal, right? I mean, this might be the new way in which um, the presidents and and more political figures are using it to either um, counteract the traditional mainstream press or to um, break news of their own. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? And, and obviously, what are the challenges it presents for journalists? Yeah, my guess would be um, he views it as sort of his own uh, broadcast channel. Um, he's not filtered. He's not being cut off. He's got, I think, 23 million Twitter followers. I'm sure he's got uh, several million on Facebook. So it's not anybody asking him the questions. It's not like a one-on-one interview, uh, not a big press conference. And he feels as if this is his platform for getting through to people you know, very quickly as well. Um, and I think within minutes of him posting something, it's got you know thousands of retweets and people are commenting and weighing in. So I think it could be the new normal. Um, certainly a lot of people are using Twitter to get their message across and very quickly and in front of a lot of people. Um, even we see celebrities weighing in on Instagram and, and everything. It's just, um, I think a lot of people are turning to these platforms now for news in real time. Certainly for journalists, it does present challenges. We like being the place where people come to to deliver news and tell us in interviews. And if they're turning to social media to you know get their message across, um, you know, we need to report on that as well. Certainly when, when Donald Trump says something on Twitter, you see cable outlets and newspapers picking it up immediately. So it's just, it's just a matter of where people are turning for their news. Um, there's certainly no shortage of things now, but it's something we're, you know, keeping a close eye on. No, it does indeed. Listen, Ryan, we really appreciate your time. Uh, great insights and, and really interesting perspective. Uh, managing editor, Baltimore Business Journal, Ryan Sharrow. Uh, Ryan, thanks so much. I'm sure we'll be talking to you soon. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, guys. Ryan, that was great. Uh, really good insights into how what you're dealing with when it comes to social media with your reporters and how it's an asset to you and maybe sometimes not always an asset. But that was great insight. We appreciate it. So for Jen and I, we want to thank you for listening to Spotlight. We hope you continue to listen. We're going to keep having interesting guests on. And if you have an idea for a, a subject... Um, please reach out to us on social media. How do they do that, Jen? At Maroon PR, across all of our handles, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Makes it easy. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you next week.